Well, if you have your Bibles this morning, let's turn to the book of Job, chapter one, please. Good to see everyone in the services today. And uh, we've been talking about, or been singing about uh, God's faithfulness, and as Job prayed, so we're gonna talk about suffering. Suffering, if you look to the book of Job, and it's found in the middle of the Old Testament, right before Psalms, we're gonna talk about uh, Job and uh, his connection with suffering. You know, in life, in life there is suffering. To live is to suffer. I mean, it's, it's a gimme that we're going to go through suffering. That's just part of life. And, um, and we know a little bit about suffering in Southern California. When the temperature gets in the 60s, we know what it means to suffer, don't we? <laughs> or we get close to 80 and 90, we know what it means to suffer here in Southern California. Life, we're going to experience those seasons of suffering. Now, think about that. Those that believe there is no God, suffering is easily explained. Suffering to them is not a great struggle. It's because it's part of the natural selection. And that's going to be good for them. Richard Dawkins, in his book, A River Out of Eden, A Darwin View of Life, says this, in a universe of electrons and selfish genes, blind physical forces and genetic replications, some people are going to get hurt, other people are going to get lucky, and you won't find any rhyme or reason in it, nor any justice. Listen, the universe that we observe has precisely the properties we should expect if there is, at bottom, no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but pitiless indifference. Now that's a view taken from there is no God, that there's a pitiless indifference, that suffering is just part of the, the process of natural selection. Another point with this indifference view of life, no evil, no good. Listen, when we take God out of the picture and saying that there is no good, you also understand, you understand this, that you also take out that there is no moral standard for life. Then in each of our minds, we make up the rules and choose what is right in our thinking. And we can get into trouble with that. A culture, society, when we take out God, we take out that moral standard, and then we just start doing what we think is right in our minds, and we go to places that are not good. So suffering is not an issue for those who do not believe in God, but for us who do believe in God, we have a real tension with this. Now, here's the tension. It is this, that when we suffer or go through seasons of suffering, we question, does God really love me? Because I'm going through this. Is that really uh, God showing his love to me? Am I experiencing or am I experiencing something else from God? So we, we question his love. We question his power. How come God is not delivering me from this suffering? You remember when John the Baptist, who the Bible says was was a great man. Jesus said he was a great uh, uh, man. And he said that Jesus, uh, 
when he was in prison, he said to Jesus, he said, Jesus, are you really the Messiah? There was a time that he questioned who God is and his power and his truth of who Jesus was. We may even suffer, God, uh, when we suffer, we may even question God's holiness. So in that suffering, we can come up with these questions that are very real. And I believe that we will all go through those. Those are questions that we follow that path and that thinking. And then we get to choose, okay, what are we going to do with this? How are we going to respond to this? And so we're going to look at this question, though, specifically, why do good people suffer? Why do good people suffer? And, and we find that in God's infinite wisdom and his divine plan and to help us navigate through life, we have a great biography about a man who suffered in life and he was a good man. So if you have your Bible and you turn to the book of Job, let's start with verse one. And we're going to approach this question, why do good people suffer? So chapter one, verse one, there was a man in the land of Oz, who name, his name was Job, and the man was blameless, upright, one who feared God and shunned evil. Now, there is something as we start off in this book that is different from other books in the Bible, that God is bringing home a point that Job is a good man. He wants us to know four things about Job. He was blameless. Now, it doesn't mean that he was sinless like Jesus was, but that he didn't have a lifestyle that was contrary to, to God, that there, were, there was a, a nothing that you could like um, um, bring up about Job, you know, that, hey, Job, uh, you know, what about you? You know, you're, you're doing this and, 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 and that and so forth. There was nothing there. Though there were times that no doubt he had sinned, and it seems with, as we look on later on in this chapter, that he had the, the response to confess that and make it right with God. And so when he did sin, he made it right. It wasn't like he sinned, and he chose to sin, and he went down the path of sin, and it continued in a lifestyle of sin. That wasn't Job. He was blameless. He was also, the second thing that God wants to know about Job is he's a man of complete integrity. He also, number three, that he feared God, that he uh, revered God, that he had reverence for God. And then he stayed away from me. He shunned evil. If it was evil, he wanted nothing to do with it. He walked away. He stayed away from it. So we see in the opening scene, act one of the book of Job, as Job enters, introduced to us that God is bringing this point home. He's a good man. Now, because he's a good man, he is perfect for our question, why do good people suffer? So we got half of the question already uh, for Job, that he is a good man, all right? You think Job suffers? Yeah. So we read on. Let's read on a little bit more about this, uh, this man, Job. So let's look a little bit more. Verse 2, it says, and seven sons and three daughters were born to him. He had 10 kids. Now, no doubt they had wives and husbands and they had kids. And so this is a pretty good-sized family. And also his possessions were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, and 500 yoke of oxen and 500 female donkeys and a very large household so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. Or he was the richest of that time. 
They had great possessions. And his sons would go and feast in their homes and each in his own appointed day and would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And so it was when the days of feasting had run their course that Job would send and sanctify them and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This Job did regularly. He was a consistent follower of God. He's a good man. He's a good man in his integrity, blameless, fierce God. He is those things, but also he is blessed. He is blessed with things. And, you know, sometimes people think that to have wealth, that automatically that there is greed. Well, man, he must have been a greedy person. He must have been very first. That doesn't mean that. doesn't always equate that. He was blessed. He was a blessed man. And, and later on, if, if we were to take time, but later on in this book, it talks about Job in the things that he did. He used that to bless others. Talks about him being, being very giving and helping the poor and, and then for the, and, and stand up for injustice and going to court for those that were being taken advantage of and so forth. He was a good man and he was good with his stuff as well. And then we notice something else as we talk about his children and, and the way he responds to his children that uh, he, it seemed that he loved his family. I mean, every time that there was a birthday or a great event, they would invite and they'd have this great celebration. I could imagine, you know, 10 kids and then their kids and all that, and they were celebrating all the time throughout the year. They were constantly coming together. They're constantly having those barbecues and those cookouts and, and celebrating life together. They were, they were doing that. And, and then also we find out now he was a great family man, but also he loved God and he wanted them to love God as well. He had a deep passion, a deep spiritual care for his children. He offered sacrifices and prayed for them case that they were going and doing wrong things, he offered those sacrifices on their behalf. He prayed for them on their behalf. He was a good father. He wasn't passive. He, he saw and was concerned about the spiritual condition of his children. He was very active in that. He's very active. Job was a good man. Was good as the relationship to God is good as a relationship not only with family but with friends and with his community. So we have a perfect candidate to ask this question to, to a person who gets to suffer. Why do good people suffer? Let's read on in verse six. So let's read verse six and co and now as we enter into a conversation between God and Satan. Interesting. Now, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, from whence do you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. Again, those four things that God wants us to know and he wanted Satan to know about Job, those four things. Now, 
Here's the thing, that as we step back and take a moment of this conversation, God is getting ready to set up Satan. <laughs> He's setting him up. He's, you know, when God asks questions in the Bible, often what it is, it's a setup. When he, Jesus and the disciples, he would ask them questions. He already knew what was going on. And he would set them up with these questions. Here's, here's God. And he set Satan up with these questions. Have you considered Job? Job is a blameless, upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. And then verse 9. Satan answered the Lord and said. Now, how do you think he's responded in his attitude or spirit of that? <laughs> says Satan, does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions and have increased in the land. <laughs> Satan sarcastically asked him, does he fear God for nothing? In other words, well, Job's in this good spot, and it is good, and it is easy to serve God when you're in that sweet spot. When your wife loves you, your husband loves you, your kids are all acting out, and they're, and they're doing well, and, and, the, and the money's coming in, and the possessions are there, and you have good health, and life is good. Satan is saying, now, if you take away that, let's see how Job um, goes through life. And what's God answers? He said, but now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and I will surely curse you to your face. That, excuse me, that was what Satan said. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, that he, that he is in your power. Isn't that something? that God would take Job and deliver him into Satan's power. Now, that doesn't mean that he is delivering him like to hell. And as we have understand, there's some context to this. There's a limitation. He says, only do not lay your hand on his person. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. In other words, he gave him liberty, permission to do anything he wanted to do, Job. And that's a scary part place to be in, that God would turn around and Job, who he was pleased in, and then turn him over and allow Satan to have his way with Job, except for taking his life. All right, let's read on what happens here. And now there was a day when your sons and daughters were eating and drinking and wine in their oldest brother's house. The messenger came to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and donkeys feeding beside them. And when the Sabians raided them and took them away, indeed, they have killed the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, another also came and said, the fire of God fell from heaven, burned up the sheep, and the servants consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. Can you get the picture that Job is getting these messengers of bad news coming in all at one time? And while he was still speaking, another came and said, the Chaldeans formed the bands and raided the camels and took them away. Yes, and killed the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you while he was still speaking. 
Doesn't it seem like life goes like that in those seasons? Isn't that something? How that, you know, something happens, suffer, and then all of a sudden, something else happens, and then something helped happens. It seems like it comes in those little packages uh, in our life. And so he says, and while he was still speaking, verse 18 again, another also came and said, your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And suddenly a great wind came from the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house and it fell on the young people and they are dead. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Man, if that doesn't rock your world, that doesn't... come to a place where you might question the sovereignty of God and the love of God and where's the goodness of God, where's the blessings of God, if that didn't. But notice what Job responded. He said, then Job rose and says he tore his robe and he shaved his head, which gives you just, let me see a plug, that's good to shave your head. I'm just saying that, amen? <laughs> it's good to do this. And he fell to the ground and worshiped. He said, Listen to what he said. This is his prayer. After all that bad news, he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, naked shall I return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And all this, Job did not sin, nor charge or give to God's account or, or blame God with wrong. Amazing story. It's a true story. It's a true story of what a man would went through, and he had so much. And the more you have, the greater loss when you lose it all. And ten kids, not just one, but ten. He lost ten kids at one time. You know, when we look at Job in the bigger picture of Job and, his, and we stretch out his life at the end of his life, we're not even sure or certain that Job ever understood what was happening in that conversation with, with God and the devil. It seems to us that Job went through life, all his life, with unanswered questions because of this conversation with, with God and Satan was hidden from him. It seems that that was the case. And not only until he get to heaven, he got some answers, and then it was a step back and say, aha, I see what you were doing, God. And I just say this, that my friend, when we look at suffering, and we look at you're in a position and you are doing good and so forth, and you question God, and you ask God these questions on the why are you allowing me this? Why am I going through this? Why are they going through this? Sometimes, my friend, you're going to have to just give it to God and just settle it, and you're going to take those questions to the grave and allow God to answer them after this life. That may happen. This is not, there is no answer and uh, 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 questions that... uh, uh, every answer, every question is going to be answered. There, there is not this book here that, that we look at the book of Job and then we come at the end of Job and, and we find all the answers of why we are suffering and what God is doing in our life. We're, we're not, we don't find that. But we do give 
we do find some direction, we do find some help with this understanding of why good people do suffer. For us, it seems like a sentence from God is cruel and unusual punishment when we go through this. Why did God allow Job, who was living right, have to go through suffering? Let me give you a couple things that's in your note. Here's what we do know. First of all, Job did not suffer because he had sinned. We, obviously, we just talked about that. When we do suffer, it is good, though. When we do suffer, it is good to take a, a, a spiritual inventory where I'm at. Perhaps God is speaking to us. Hebrews tells us that, that when we are uh, on the wrong path and we are doing wrong, that God comes along and he gives us a, a correction in our life. And sometimes that involves suffering. But understand that those living right do suffer. Just because you're doing right, just because you're, you're in, in, on the right path does not mean you're going to be excluded from suffering. Paul, who was a good man, suffered greatly in the New Testament. Listen to this. He says in Colossians chapter 1, Paul says, I rejoice in my suffering for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church. Paul says, I have suffered. And I take joy in my suffering, and I understand that it's a benefit to you, but also to understand that it increases my awareness of what Christ has done for me and his suffering for me. And then he turns around and says, and I realize that my suffering also is a benefit to the body of Christ. And we think of a good man, we think of Jesus Christ, who we know Jesus Christ was God manifested in the flesh, but as a good man, here upon, he did he as well suffered. He was a sinless, perfect man. And Jesus suffered. And why did he suffer? Because he suffered for us. So when we see suffering and sin, they aren't always connected. We can't link both of those together. And so Job did not suffer because of sin. And it might be that we don't suffer because of sin as well. Second thing, Job did not suffer because God was angry with him. Remember, it was God who brought Job into the conversation with Satan. He says, when you go through suffering, uh, or when we go through suffering, we are tempted to think that suffering is a sign from God that he's angry or mad at us. He's upset at us. We do that spiritual inventory thing. If we're okay, then so forth. But God just has allowed that for some reason. Some reason we may not understand, some reason we may not know. Job reminds us that God's anger is not why we suffer. And furthermore, as a believer, we do not experience the wrath of God because Jesus absorbed the wrath of God for us on the cross. We're no longer enemies of God. We're his children. And yes, he may correct us, may allow us to go through the, but those are for a good and we can even say a loving reason that he would allow that. So Job didn't suffer because he's angry. There are times you'll suffer, but it's not because God's angry at you. Here's the third thing. Job suffered in order to reveal his faith. 
here we have Job. We have Satan, this conversation, and, and God allowed Satan to allow him to go through things. And because of that, he experienced some great suffering, some great loss. But yet, at the end of chapter 1, verse, those verses, he did not give up on God. He was faithful to the end. Even, even when it, he lost all, suffering produces a crisis in our life produces a wrestling, a choice, a crossroads. When we get to choose God, whether um, I, I don't understand God, I don't understand what you're doing, but I choose, I, I push back, I push through that. I'm gonna trust you on your goodness, your character, even though when I don't understand what's happening in my life. And when we look at the Bible we, and the Bible speaks of suffering. It often uses the picture of, of a furnace. I want you to I want to uh, read First Peter chapter four. Listen to this. It, it says in Peter, it, uh, it says, "Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange things happen to you." You see what that's saying? It says it's saying that we are going to go through suffering as good people, as children of God, but don't think it's a strange thing. In our men's Bible study yesterday, we were talking in 2 Timothy chapter 3, that's where we're at, and, and, and the guys, we were talking about persecution, and, and that, that the, Paul said to Timothy, he said, if anyone who lives and follows Jesus, you will suffer persecution. There'll be this suffering that we'll go through following Jesus. And so and when we go through this, don't think it's strange. But understand this, that in that fire is the testing of our faith that makes our faith more genuine and mature in that suffering. Simply put, suffering grows up our faith. And it's the only way it grows. I mean, it's when our faith is tested, is that it then, as it is tested, it grows. And we see that in our life. The Bible gives that to us. Look in, and listen in James chapter one. It says here in James, it says, dear brothers and sisters, when trouble comes your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance or your, persist, your perseverance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your perseverance or your endurance is fully developed, you'll be perfect and complete and need nothing. Here's what's got say there's that process, you know, the faith and the crisis that you go through and the suffering. But understand this, that there is great fruit of that, there's great purpose of it. It'll help you grow in that, that you become complete, you mature. Suffering matures our faith. So as we think about, as we go through that, that it is a process that grows our faith like never before. I wanna give you a couple things, a few things in closing here to take away. Take away thoughts. I want you to think about these things that as we think about suffering. First of all, number one, good people do suffer and sometimes without known reason. I hammer that home to you as well. Good people do suffer, and sometimes there are no answers to the why. 
Number two, as we look at the book of Job, it is not primarily about one man's suffering and pain. You see, what Job wrestled with, and as he goes through that conversation with those friends and so forth, and in the in internal uh, conversation that Job had with himself, Job's problem is not so much financial or social or medical. His central problem in the uh, crisis is theological. We must accept this fact, and here it is. God does not always act the way we think God would and should act. <laughs> is that true? Well, God, you know, uh, if I was you, God, I would do this. But we're not God, and thankfully, God doesn't act like you, and God doesn't act like me. So God doesn't always act the way we're thinking, and God would not, uh, we think, and God would and should act. And we're not talking about evil or anything like that, but because God is holy and he cannot sin. But God doesn't always do things and plan things and allow things in our life like we should. Do you think that Job woke up one morning and said, man, I wish, I wish the devil, was just, I'd just be in the hands of the devil and allow him to just work in my life. Do you think that Job would have chose that? Absolutely not. None of these things he would have desired. But he didn't blame God as far as wrong. He trusted God with that in the end. Number three, listen, your faith will be revealed through suffering. I don't know where your faith is at. We're all at different levels of faith. But here's the thing, that, that God wants to grow our faith and is important for us. It is a benefit to us in our maturity. It brings us closer to God. And also, it is a benefit for those that are watching our life. If you got everything going right, you know, I can see why, you know, okay, you, you know, but if you take away those things and you experience hard times, your faith is tested. And you know that when you're in the hospital, when, when Tragedy happens to your life when your health fails, when you lose your job, when those things happen and you're in a, a, a terrible situation, people are watching you. They are looking at you, your faith, the indicator of your faith, where it's at. Our faith, our true, our genuine, who we are really are, our genuine Bonafide, that word, Christian walk with God comes to light when it hits the fan, when it happens. Your faith will be revealed through your suffering. Number four, Job never saw why he suffered, but he saw God, and that was enough. God is enough. Job went through those conversations with Job, the rest of the book. If you've not read it, I encourage you to read it. And, and, and at the end, it, it, God met with Job, didn't answer his question to why, didn't tell him what was going on with Satan in this conversation, didn't, didn't talk about this, this testing that was happening. He didn't, he just, in fact, God just gave him a bunch of questions that he couldn't answer. Job came to the conclusion that God is enough. God's enough. 
I don't need those possessions to remain faithful. I don't need my family to love me. I don't need my, my situation. I don't need this. I don't need that to, for, for me to follow God. You can take that all away, and I will still follow God. That's deep, isn't it? Isn't that? Because he came to the conclusion, God's all I need. I don't need all that other stuff. God is all I need, and God is enough. Last thing, very important thing. Number five, the word of God is the greatest tool to carry you through suffering. You know, when we go back and we read the book of Job and how that he wrestles with his those three friends came along and they accused Job of sin. You got sin in your life and so forth. And Job said, now I don't have sin. Show me. I, I don't. I prayed and I, there's nothing going on there. And finally in this wrestling and so forth and after the last, last uh, friend spoke, the youngest one spoke, then, then God steps in and he speaks to Job and he gives him some help to be able to deal with and to be okay with what was going on. It wasn't answers, but it was his presence and his powers demonstrated because he asked a bunch of questions to Job and he said like, Job, Job, where were you when I made all this? Job, and he gave him questions that he could not answer. They were God-sized questions that only God could answer. And what he was saying, he was saying, that he was bigger than Job. He knew all the answers, he had all the power, and he could be trusted. Listen, when you're going through the suffering, come to the word of God. It will help you. And God's infinite wisdom, if we make God big, and we make God infinite big, God infinite power, unlimited uh, uh, strength and knowledge, in his infinite wisdom, he wrote the Bible with you, not Paul, not Joe, with you in mind, and with what you would go through with me in mind, with what I would go through. He wrote the Bible. That's as personal as the Bible is. That's how personal God, that he wrote, he knew you. And he knew what you would go through. And then he thought about this. Didn't take him long because he heard he's, he's God. He said, that's going to be in there. And that's going to be for so-and-so. Because on that day, in that situation, in that season, they need this. You need this. I need this. So God wrote the Bible with you and mine. And what you would experience in life and what you would need in life so when you open the Bible, he has something written there for you, for very personal, to help you with whatever you're going through. Then you read the Bible, and it reveals how God is loving, how other people have gone through suffering, how they came through it, how Job came through it, and how God loves us. And then it reveals the ultimate story of the theme of the Bible is Jesus Christ the good news, the gospel that we've been talking about. And we come to the Bible and we come to the foot of the cross. And in our suffering, we come to the foot of the cross and we look up at the suffering Savior for, 
who suffered for us. And our suffering is absorbed in his suffering for us. And it helps us in our life that he suffered for us. And he wants us, for some reason, to suffer, perhaps for others as well for their benefit. Then we read the last chapter, the last book, and we hear the story, and it gives us the blessed hope. It's going to be okay. It's going to be all right. It's just a season. (laughs) In California, we have season. I'm learning the seasons now. We do have a winter. We do have a summer and a spring. I'm seeing that now. We have these seasons that we go through. It's just a season of suffering. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Oh, gracious Heavenly Father, we come to you in your presence. We see your son sitting on your right hand. We see the nail prints, the scars upon his head. We are humbled at your love for us and help for us in our suffering. Father, when we do wrestle with our faith, remind us how important it is to go to your word, to listen, to meditate, to look for you speaking to us personally to hear what we need to hear. To hear those encouraging thoughts and those promises towards us. Father, we want to be in submission to your will and not ours. Even in the cup of suffering, as it we know it will cause our faith to grow, our love to increase, and it'll be, bring us closer, nearer to you. And that's what we want. So by faith, we embrace those seasons of suffering in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen.